tonight, we get to talk, we get to talk about what I believe God has laid uh, on our hearts for the vision for 2015, what we think God is going to do in 2015. But before we look ahead, I think it's important for us to take uh, a quick moment to actually look back at all the stuff that God did in 2014. Because you may not realize this, but there's a lot of stuff that happened uh, in 2014 at age 12. For instance, um, it was around this time last year that we actually moved into this building for the first time. Was anyone there when we did that? We, like, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Uh, we used to meet in Peachtree Ridge High School, and uh, every Wednesday night in this orchestra room, believe it or not, we would meet in that orchestra room, and then right around this time last year, we actually moved into the building, which is pretty awesome. 2014 is not only when we moved into the building, but it's also when we moved from downstairs in the building, and then we outgrew that space pretty quick, and so then we came up here for the first time in 2014, which is pretty awesome. Uh, this time last year, we had a little uh, fall retreat known as Dig, which was incredible. How many of you went to Dig last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dig was Dig was awesome for many of you. It was life changing. It was something. Uh, I know there were there were some students specifically that like that was your very first kind of introduction to H twelve. That was your very first introduction to what God was actually starting to do in your life. Was at Dig, and then we had something kind of like Dig, but it was during the summer and it was five days long, and it was called NTS Camp. How many of you went to NTS? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, green team, scheme team, that's something that came out of NTS. I don't want to say I'm proud of it. It's just something, okay? It's something that came out of it. Uh, we also had the share square. You remember the share square from NTS camp, which was incredible. It was awesome. Uh, in 2014, we also did, uh, we threw a lot of parties. So when we first moved into the building, we had a new building bash, which was fun. Uh, and then right around like the beginning of school, we had a back to school bash where we had a big like glow party. You guys know what I'm talking about? Black light bash. It was pretty, pretty phenomenal. I've never seen that many glow sticks uh, thrown at a lead singer before. It was incredible. Um, so lots of, lots of bruises for, uh, for the guys singing up there, which is great. Uh, and then we had a Halloween bash. You guys remember the Halloween bash? We had Michael Jackson thriller, some loser dressed up as a Florida fan, you know, it's weird. Um, yeah, so, uh, so we did that. And then of course, at the end of the year, we had a big old Christmas party, which was great. We gave away an Eno and we played deal or no deal. Stop that. Don't do that. People are gator chomping back there. Not okay with me. Not okay. Uh, and then last year, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but the different series that we did at age 12. We did Home Run Life, which was actually a book that our senior pastor released. We did a series all on that book, which was, which was pretty incredible. Um, also, uh, right around spring break or right after spring break, we did a series called Getting Past Your Past, which is great because a lot of you like made a past during spring break. And so we thought, well, let's talk about it afterwards. And so we did that, which was, uh, which was fun and kind of, kind of pointed. And then, and then during the summer, we did one of my favorite series we've done so far. It was only a two-week series, but it was called Red Letter Prayers. You guys remember that? We talked about what it actually looked like to pray like Jesus prayed, which was, which was pretty cool. And then like for the school year, we did School Wars, where you guys ask questions and we answer them up on stage. We did all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, now, but 2014, 2014 was more than just events. It was more than just a new building. It was more than just a bash and stuff. Uh, for many of you, for many of you in the room, there was something life-changing that God did, right? Like, like for some of you, there were, there were addictions that were broken in 2014. For some of you, there were friendships that were actually restored in 2014. 
Some of you, some of you in this room actually made the decision to trust Jesus as your savior in 2014, which is incredible. And so as we, as we've been thinking back about 2014, we actually made a little video montage um, to remember all that God did in 2014. And I think if you look closely, uh, some of you may recognize a lot of the stuff that we're going to show. In fact, it may even be your stuff. Check it out. so many stories represented in that video. And uh, I, wish, I wish we had time to share all of them with you because I'm telling you, the, what, what, what God did in 2014 is incredible. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't have that much time, but we do have time for one. And so um, as, you're, as you're remembering what God did, as, as you're watching that video and maybe your heart and your soul is stirred, because maybe for you, you remember posting that. Maybe you remember seeing that. Maybe you remember that series. Maybe you remember that baptism. 
Um, I want to read. I want to read one story of one of our students who experienced that life change last year. For a long period of my life, I stopped going to church. I'd gotten older, and my parents had stopped going, so it no longer felt like a requirement. When I was 13, my life changed for the worse. My parents divorced, and we lost our house, which led to a lot of emotional damage to the family. I became angry with God. I blamed him for everything that was wrong in my life. I didn't understand why he was doing this to me. I just wanted God to protect me, and I felt so alone. So then I stopped believing in God altogether. I've never stumbled so far off his path than when I stopped believing in God. Things were hard when I didn't have God in my life. I was so lost and so alone. For some reason, I thought I'd be okay without God. And then, my junior year, one of my friends introduced me to her friends from 12 Stone. I started hanging out with my new group of friends more and more. And then I was invited to come to 12 Stone. Because I didn't really believe in God, I wasn't sure about going, but I figured, why not? No harm in just going. Wow, was I amazed. The atmosphere of 12 Stone was so amazing and so welcoming, I began to feel God's presence again. I began going to H12 almost every week, and I loved it. And then came NTS camp, and that completely changed my life. I formed a real relationship with God, and I finally felt like I was talking to God. I grew closer with my church and closer with God. I surrendered everything to him because I knew that he had a plan. I knew that I was fearfully and wonderfully made in his image, so I didn't have to fear the unknown. I knew that as long as I walked by faith and walked with God, I was going to be okay. For the first time in my life, I was going to be okay. Now I've never felt happier. All I want to do is spread the word of God and share how incredible he is with others. I've found my way back to the path of God, and I'm proud of my faith and proud of the relationship I've built with him. I can't even begin to describe the joy and comfort that his church and the people in it give me. I have a home again, and I have a father, and that father is God. He is always with me, and I will never doubt him again. I have a reason to live and a reason to strive to be a better person, and that reason is God. Because of God, I can go into the unknown unafraid because I am saved by him. And see, that's, <laughs> that's just one example. Just, just one of those students represented last year. And so last year, we saw God do some unbelievable things. And as we look back to last year, I think there's a question that sometimes rises up in us. And it's easy for us to ignore that question or think that's a bad question to ask. See, whenever something great happens in the past, it's easy for this question to just kind of formulate in you. And then you start feeling bad because you're like, I shouldn't even be asking this question. And so when you look back to 2014 and you're, and you're watching all these lives change and you're watching these stories of incredible, incredible students going from death to life and addictions breaking, sometimes this question rises up in you. So now what? Right? I mean, I mean we saw God do incredible things in 2014, but now what? I mean, it's 2015. It's another year. Is, is God done? Is that it? Was it, was it just kind of this one-time deal and now it's, now it's not going to happen again? And believe it or not, this question, this question has not just been asked by you. In fact, this is a question the early disciples actually wrestled with. As they spent time with Jesus, this was the question on their minds at the end of his, uh, of his life here on earth. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look together at how they actually wrestled with this question and the answer that God gave them. And so we're going to look today in Acts chapter 2. 
In Acts chapter 2, this is found on page 1092, 1092. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And as, as, as you're turning there, as you're looking there, I want to give you just a little bit of context for what happened. Um, many of you know this, but, but we believe, we believe that there is a God and that God uh, created you. That God created everything you see outside. He's big. He's awesome. He's powerful. He can do whatever he wants. And yet, and yet, he loves you. We believe this big, incredible, powerful God that actually made you loves you. And not only does he love you, but he proved it by sending his own son here on earth. And so literally God in human flesh walked among us. And as you can imagine, there were people that were intrigued by him and many actually followed him. His name is Jesus. And so we had all these followers that were around Jesus. And then Jesus, when he was about 33 years old, was falsely accused and sentenced to death on a cross. And his followers watched as he suffered on the cross, as he suffered and bled and ultimately died on the cross. And when they watched him die, they thought, well, that's it. <laughs> Here's this guy I've devoted my life to, and that's it. I just watched him die. And they had no idea what God was about to do. And three days, three days after Jesus died on the cross, he was resurrected. The son of God who came to earth, not only did he die for us, but he actually rose again and people actually saw it. They saw the resurrected Jesus and spent time with the resurrected Jesus and they were blown away. And, and you know, as you can imagine, if, if someone's really smart, you go up to them and you ask them questions, right? You're like, hey, I want to know more. If someone's really smart and they're like doing some pretty cool stuff, then you ask them even more questions. And then if someone like rises from the dead, you're going to ask them a lot of questions. And so all these people came up to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is crazy. You, like, I saw you die. I saw you take your last breath. I saw them put you in a tomb. And now here you are. You're alive. Like, tell me more. Please tell me more. And so Jesus begins talking about the kingdom of God and begins talking about salvation that is offered through his death on the cross. And he's answering questions and answering questions. And then finally, there's this really strange passage in scripture. Because see, they're asking all these questions to Jesus. And Jesus begins to answer the question. And here's what happens. After he said this, so Jesus is like answering this question. He's like mid-answer. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Okay. Now this is weird, right? Because when you ask someone a question, you expect that they stay on the ground. And yet Jesus is like levitating and they're like, this is, this is like Chris Angel or something like what is happening right now? So he hid it from their sight. They were looking intently. So all the followers of Jesus, they're watching. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And the reason they were looking intently is because they had never seen this before, right? They never saw a resurrected person before, and now they've spent time with him, and now they're watching him ascend into heaven. And so they are looking intently, and I think the question on every disciple's mind was this, now what, right? Now what? Like Jesus, I watched him die, and now he's alive, and this is incredible, and I can't wait to spend forever with him, and then he disappears. Now what? I mean, I remember God doing all those incredible things. I remember the miracles. And again, I remember how he like actually was raised to life. And this guy named Thomas actually put his hand in like the hole in Jesus's hand. I was blown away by that. But now he's gone. Now what? Now what? And then this happens. Suddenly, so they're, so they're watching, right? They're, they're, they're looking. Suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. This is... Uh, 
I think a really funny verse, but you got to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, right? So again, the disciples have just watched Jesus, like, like they start uh, asking him a question and then Jesus is like, peace out, I'm out ya, right? And so he's gone. Uh, and then they're like watching, they're watching the sky. So everyone is gathered around. They're all watching the sky and just waiting. And they're just waiting as if Jesus went to go like make some popcorn and he'll be back, you know, just give me a second. And, and so they're just watching and they're waiting and then some angels show up. And again, you know, I just imagine they're all, they're all kind of watching and then the angels are like, hey, hey, what, uh, what are we looking at? What's going on out there? And they're like, oh, it's Jesus. He left. It was weird. I was asking him a question. He should be right back. So we're just waiting. We're just waiting. And then finally, he's like, okay, well, this is weird. So, so then he gets their attention. He says this, men of Galilee. He's like, hey, guys, turn towards me for a second. Men of Galilee, why? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why are you looking up there? To which, of course, I would say, well, because I've never seen that before. Like, what do you expect, right? But here's what the angels knew. Here's what the angels knew that they didn't know. The angels knew that God was about to do something incredible. The angels knew that God had these unbelievable plans that they had no idea of. See, there were about 120 people that day that were watching the sky. And they knew, and God knew, that eventually he would take those 120 people and in a day turn them into 3,000 people committed to Jesus, giving their lives to Jesus. And then he would take those 3,000 people and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, would spread all the way around the planet. Until now, halfway across the world, we sing about Jesus. God knew that. God knew that he had more in store for them. God knew that there was something incredible about to happen. And so the disciples were asking, well, now what? Now what's going to happen? How do we get from point A to point B? And I think, if, I think if God had to give the answer, I think his answer would be the launching of the church. The thing to get them from point A to point B is the launching of the church. Because see, nothing like the church had ever existed before. And by the way, when I say church, I don't, mean, I don't mean a building, okay? It's easy for us to think that like church is like, you know, it's a building. It's, it's, it's like where you show up and there's four walls and all that stuff. Um, he wasn't talking about that. Uh, nor, nor was he talking about like, you know, a holy place or like a temple. Um, when God launched the church, he wasn't talking about any of that stuff. See, the word that's used to describe the church is this word right here, ecclesia, ecclesia. And so God's plan, God's next for them, God's, well, now what are we going to do is this, ecclesia. After seeing God do something unbelievable among them, God's plan was the ecclesia, which is the church. Now, here's the deal. This word, ecclesia, it doesn't mean building. It doesn't mean temple. It means gathering. It means gathering or, or like a group, okay? So, so you, you actually know what an ecclesia is. You just didn't know uh, that you knew that. Some of you are on the track, ecclesia, right? Uh, some of you are like in the Spanish ecclesia. Um, some of you are on the basketball ecclesia. Some of you are in the like cheerleaders ecclesia. Um, so, like, like, like there's all sorts of groups that you're a part of. It's just an ecclesia. That's all it is. So, so an ecclesia is a group. It's a gathering of people. It's not a building. It's not about the four walls of the church. It's about a gathering. And as God began to launch the church, here was his description of the ecclesia. And this is what you've turned to, Acts 2, uh, verse 42. 
It says this, they being the disciples, the people that were actually, they saw Jesus do this and now they're the ecclesia. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Okay, fellowship is just a really fancy word for like, it's people getting together. Okay, so when you have like people come over to your house, that's a fellowship. Okay, and to the breaking of bread. Now this is huge. Okay, Uh, a lot of people, especially really smart ones, think that breaking of bread is referring to communion. Right? Like when Jesus broke bread and then there was like the wine, but now we use grape juice and all that stuff. And that's what breaking of bread is. That's actually not what breaking of bread means. Uh, This could also be translated like uh, the breaking of Mongolian beef. Uh, or like the breaking of Zaxby's, you know, it's just, it's food, okay? That's all he's talking about, it's just food, okay? So it says they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to food, to which I say, amen, that's awesome. Uh, And finally to prayer, and then the next verse. Everyone, so not some people, everyone in this ecclesia was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, again, not part of the believers, not some, not these people over there, but not the, it's all the believers were together. They were hanging out together. They were doing life together. They were sharing together. And it says this, they had everything in common. And then he defines what that means. Here's what everything in common means. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, which means if you were part of that ecclesia and like you drop your phone on the ground and now of course the phone is cracked, right? Like the screen is cracked. That meant people would be like, okay, well, let me sell my shirt because she needs a phone. That's what they did. It's crazy. People sold land. People sold all this stuff in order to make sure that everyone's needs were met. That's this ecclesia. And then uh, every day they continued to meet together, hanging out together in the temple courts. They broke bread, which again is just food. Okay. So they're eating food in their homes. And then in case you didn't get it, they ate together. Okay. With glad and sincere hearts. So if we had to sum up the launching of the ecclesia, what the first ecclesia looked like, this is what it looked like. Fellowship, hanging out together, breaking of bread, which is eating and my favorite. Everyone was together. Okay. That means they're all like doing stuff together. Uh, Everything in common, meaning like we sold stuff because we're all kind of in this together. They met together which means they meet together. They broke bread, which again means because they're hungry, they're eating. Uh, And then finally, they ate together. Okay, here's what's crazy. In these few verses, as Luke is describing the early ecclesia, he talks more about eating than he does about prayer. In fact, he talks more about eating than he does about prayer and teaching. These people love to eat. Just like me. It's awesome, man. Like, let's go to Waffle House right now. Like, I'm so pumped up about the early, early ecclesia. It's amazing. But here's what he was getting to. Here's what he was getting to. All of them are asking, well, now what? Now what? Now what? And now what? Has more to do with who than what? Now what? Has way more to do with who than with what? See, because when I think back to, like, my history with God, When I think back to significant moments in my life, they are always, always, always tied to people. They're tied to people. God uses people. God uses the ecclesia. God uses a community. God uses a group. See, when I was was 12 years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And the guy that led me to Christ was a guy named Matt. And then... um, time, my, uh, my, my student pastor was a guy named Jeff McCammon, and Jeff discipled me for three years. And I wouldn't be who I am today without Jeff's influence in my life. One year after accepting Christ, I went to this thing that was kind of like Dig, and my small group leader at Dig was a guy named Brett Davis. 
Um, Brett, uh, at the end of this dig, uh, like weekend, he, um, he put a sheet of paper out and he said, if you want me to stay in contact with you, he said this to all the guys, he said, if you want me to stay in contact with you, um, write down your address. Cause we didn't have like, you know, phones and stuff like that. I, I mean, we had phones, but like kids didn't have fun, whatever. Uh, so, so he wrote down the address, uh, or, or he said, write down your address and I'll send you a letter. I'll send you a letter. This guy was in college, by the way, I was 13 years old. I was in middle school and he wrote me a letter, uh, every month, every month. And, um, I, uh, I remember getting those letters, and I don't know how the people uh, in, like, you know, Ephesus, Ephesians felt when they got a letter from Paul, and I'm not sure how, like, you know, the people felt when they got, like, you know, the book of Luke from Luke, but man, I tell you, every time I got that letter, it was like God himself was speaking to me, but it was through a person. It was through a person. Then when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I had some really close friends that I always kind of palled around with. Uh, there was a guy named Andrew, there was a guy named Brian, uh, a guy named George, another guy named Noah, and we did life together. And if it weren't for those guys, I don't know where I would be today because they held me accountable. They called me to a higher standard. Um, we, uh, we actually like, we, we definitely did do a lot of eating together, but more than that, we also opened scripture together. And it was the people that God used in my life that had a tremendous, tremendous impact. Um, because here's, here's what God knows. And this is why the ecclesia was so important. And this is why the next that God had for them were these ecclesias and these groups. It's because of this. It's because you can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. I mean, you could come here every week and you could raise your hands and you could be all about God and you could listen to the message and I take really good notes and then I save them and sometimes I tweet and then H12 like retweets me and it's awesome. But if you're doing life alone, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You need people. And God knew that. In fact, I sat down with, uh, I sat down with a few students over the past couple weeks and I, and I asked them this question. They were students that had been like growing in their faith, students that actually took God seriously, uh, students that I've watched make very difficult decisions out of obedience. And, uh, and I asked them, uh, I was like, so what's the deal? <laughs> like, why, why do you actually believe this? Like, why are you actually, like, why are you actually reading scripture? Why are you actually being obedient? Like, okay, like, let's cut through all the church stuff. Why? Why? Every student I asked, Without leading them, I didn't prompt them. I didn't like open it up and say, let me read some scripture. Now let me ask you a question. No, I just asked them this question. Every single student responded exactly the same. You know what they said? They said, well, I guess it started when I stopped hanging out with these people. And then I started hanging out with these people. Well, you know, I guess it started when like, <laughs> I actually started hanging out with like people from age 12. Well, you know, I guess for me it was, it was like the people that I had in my life, and they kind of kept me accountable. Every student. Every student. Because you can't do life alone. Hard as you may try, as much as you may want, you can't do life alone. And God knows that. And that's why he has set up these ecclesias. That's why he has set up these groups. And that's why. That's why. Just like when, when the early church was asking, well, now what? As we ask, now what? And as we look to God and say, God, what is your vision? What do you want to do in 2015? What is the one thing that you want us to go after? I believe. I believe. The one thing that we got to do, the one thing that we got to go after is this. Groups. Ecclesias. 
The same way that they looked back and they saw Jesus do incredible things. And then God said, here's the next thing. It's the launching of the church, the launching of ecclesias. I believe God's next for us is groups. Specifically, I want to talk about two groups. You probably already know about these. Connection groups and life groups. You may have thought that we um, were just kind of making this stuff up as we went along. No, uh, these things are actually really, really important. Connection groups and life groups, crazy important. So I want to talk about each one for just a second. Connection groups. Uh, the purpose of connection groups is actually in the name. We want you to make connections with students. Because here's what I know. Um, if, if you come here and you worship and you raise your hands and you're singing the song and all that, but you never make a connection with a student, in a month you'll be gone. I've watched that happen. You could be super committed. You could really love the band. You could really uh, like, like, like everything about this. But if you're not connecting with another student, you're going to be gone. And then your faith will be gone too if you're not actually making that connection. So the purpose of connection groups is we want you connecting with two groups of people. One, people your age. And number two, these adult leaders. These adult leaders, we'll talk about them in a second because they're incredible. Um, so, uh, but before, before we do that, um, some of you uh, think you're clever. And you think that we uh, don't notice that right as soon as we say, hey, see y'all next week, woo, you go right out the doors to Chick-fil-A because you're like, I don't need that connection group. We notice. And you are harming yourself more than you know. And some of those same people ask me, well, how do I just, like, how do I get closer to God? How do I get a better connection with God? Well, you're walking out the door, and that's why you don't have that because you need that connection with other people. Okay, and so that's why whenever we announce uh, like H12 times, we say seven to eight thirty because connection is a vital part. It's 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 more than just you standing here looking forward. You need to sit in circles. That's where life change happens. That's where life change happens. So that's connection groups. They happen every single week, even during the summer. We want you connecting and begin building those relationships. If you don't know someone, connection groups is a great place to get to know someone. A lot of times these groups are like playing games or they're getting to know one. They're, they're just talking. It's nothing deep. It's nothing weird. It's a connection group. That's all it is. Now, life groups. Life groups are something that we do twice um, every year. We have the, these 12, 12 week uh, groups that meet um, and, uh, and they happen right before the service. And tonight, you're going to have an opportunity to sign up for life groups. They're not starting yet. They're going to be starting in about the middle of February. So you've got a few weeks to decide whether or not this is for you. Um, connection groups are not optional. Uh, life groups are optional. But here's what I would say to you. Please get in a life group. Please get in a life group. You can't do life alone. You can't. You need people around you. I needed people around you. The early church needed people around them. That's why God launched this whole thing. That's why he called it the ecclesias and not the building. That's why he didn't say go to the temple. He didn't say that. He said gather together. I don't care where it is. It could be in a building. It could be out at a park. It could be whatever. But you need people around you. And that's what these life groups are. Life groups have accountability. Because here's what I know. God often, when he speaks to you, he speaks through other people. He does. Uh, sometimes when you need to be called out by God, God uses your best friend to call you out. And you hate your best friend. You do. Because you're like, why are you calling me out? Why do you know this? I'll tell you why. It's because God cares so much for you. And so he doesn't want to see you continue suffering. Sometimes when you're having a rough day, God encourages you through a friend. And they may say just one word to you and you like just start bawling and you start sobbing. And you're like, how did you know? And they're like, I, I was just saying hey to you. But God knew. 
God knew. See, because God knows what you need, and he often meets your needs through other people. That's why he launched the ecclesia, and that's why you got to get in an ecclesia. The good news for you is that the people that are in your connection group are the same people that are going to be in your life group. So people that you meet after the service are the same people that have the opportunity to sign up for your life group. And there's two groups of people in the life groups, same groups, actually. It's the uh, students your age and the adult leaders. Let me talk uh, for like one minute because I know I got I to gotta wrap up. I want to talk one minute about these life group leaders. Uh, they uh, love you so much. And I know they love you because they're here. They don't have to be here. I have not twisted their arms. I have not said, you really need to do this. There is no guilt trip. They are here because they want to be. And more specifically, they are here because of you. Uh, there was a guy who um, was a life group leader. And he, he came up to me after a uh, certain service. And uh, usually after a service, I'm, I'm hanging out with people, I'm talking with people, and he was just kind of patiently waiting for me to finish. Uh, and he actually waited for a long time, and it was maybe about 9 or 9.30, and I, and I go up to him, and I was like, hey, man, what's going on? And uh, he looked distraught, like, you know, and so I start thinking, oh, like, maybe there's something with, like, his best friend, like, maybe something with his family, like, I wonder what's going on in this guy's life. And he shook his head, and he said the name of a student in his group. He said, I care so much about him. <laughs> he cared so much for the student that it almost brought him to tears. That's how much these leaders care for you. There are leaders that want so, so badly to pour into you, to care for you, to be the shoulder that you cry on. And that's the reason they're here. And so I'm telling you, life groups, you gotta, gotta, gotta plug in to life groups. You're actually gonna have an opportunity to sign up tonight. And life groups happen from 6 to about 6.45 every single Wednesday before the service. And I know, I know that like you're busy, you got a lot of stuff going on, you're like, it's just another thing like on my calendar. But, but here's, here's what you need to know, okay? Uh, we are not trying to fill your calendar. We want to fill your life. We honestly believe this is the best next step for you. That coming here and absorbing material is good, but if you're not connecting with people and you're not in a group where people are lovingly calling you out and people are lovingly praying for you and they're encouraging you, then I'm telling you, you're missing out. The ecclesia is huge. And I want to do something. I want to, uh, I want to read that story again, the story from the beginning, because you probably didn't notice it, but ecclesia is written all over this story. Ecclesia changed this student's life. So I'm just going to read it again, but I'm going to emphasize certain parts of this story. For a long period of life, I stopped going to church, Ecclesia. I'd gotten older and my parents stopped going, so it no longer felt like a requirement. When I was 13, my life changed for the worse. My parents divorced and we lost our home, which led to a lot of emotional damage to my family. I became angry with God. I blamed him for everything that was wrong in my life. I didn't understand why he was doing this to me. I just wanted God to protect me, and I felt so alone. You're not meant to do life alone. So then I stopped believing in God altogether. I've never stumbled so far uh, off his path than when I stopped believing in God. Things were so hard when I didn't have God in my life. I was so lost and so alone. You were never meant to do life alone. I was so alone, and for some reason, I still thought I would be okay without God. Then my junior year, one of my friends introduced me to her friends, Ecclesia, 
from 12 Stone. I started hanging out with my new group of friends, my new ecclesia, more and more. Then I was invited to come to 12 Stone, an ecclesia, because I didn't really believe in God and I wasn't sure about going, but I figured why not? No harm in just going. <laughs> wow, was I amazed. The atmosphere of this ecclesia was so amazing and so welcoming, I began to feel God's presence again. I began going to H12 almost every week. Remember that verse? Every week they met together. Every week, and I loved it. Then came NTS camp, and that completely changed my life. I knew that as long as I was walking by faith and walked with God, I was going to be okay. Now, for the first time in my life, I was going to be okay. Now, I've never been happier. All I want to do is spread the word of God and share how, how incredible he is with others. That's an ecclesia. I found my way back to God, and I'm proud of my faith. And then she says this, I can't even begin to describe the joy and comfort that his church, his ecclesia, and the people in it, the ecclesia, give to me. Her life was changed by a group. And your life can be changed by a group. And maybe God's next for you is to jump in these groups. And maybe as you look back at 2015 next year, you say, that's, that's the year that it became real for me. That's the year that my life actually changed. And then you start listing the names of people in your ecclesia that God used to change. God can do something unbelievable in your life. You were not meant to do life alone. You weren't. Let me pray for you. God, I pray, um, I pray that these students uh, take this seriously. And I pray that as they begin thinking about uh, their life and about the life that they want and about the relationship with God that they want and the decisions that they want to make and the courage they want to have and the boldness they want to have, I pray that you would connect the dots for them, that they would begin seeing those things happen in an ecclesia, in a group, in a gathering. I pray that you would uh, change their mindset to be less about a building and far more, far more about a gathering of people. And I pray that uh, this big ecclesia, this big group, would look like Acts 2, 42 through 47. You know, that's been my prayer for a long time. <laughs> that we would meet together often. That we would eat together that we would do life together, that we would grow in our faith together, and that you would change our lives together. So now I pray that you would do that. For the student who's nervous, I pray that you would give them boldness to sign up. For the student that is unsure, I pray that you would give them clarity. And I pray that these ecclesias that meet downstairs would look like your church. So we pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.